so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Life in ministry is often rich and rewarding, but there are challenges and seasons of struggle as well. These struggles can take a toll on marriages in particular. At our national conference, Philip Bethencourt moderated a panel with Christine Hoover, Nicole Lino, Chris Osborne, and Kevin Eckert as they discussed strengthening marriage and ministry by overcoming jealousy, resentment, discouragement, and loneliness. Let's listen to their discussion now. This may be an encouragement while you're facing a challenge right now or one may come in the future. And we have just the right mix of people up here to walk us through this conversation. Let me introduce them to you. Chris Osborne is my home church pastor at Central Baptist Church in College Station, Texas, sitting next to him. And notice he's the best dressed panelist in the entire conference at Texas A&M Polo. I love that one. Right next to him is Christine Hoover. She's a pastor's wife and author in Charlottesville, Virginia at Charlottesville Community Church. And right here in the middle is Kevin Eckert, who's the pastor of First Baptist Georgetown, Texas. And then to my left is Nicole Lino, who serves with her husband, Nathan Lino, who pastors at Northeast Houston Baptist Church. So uh, the genesis of this conversation came out of a conference that you led together called the Encourager Conference last year on how to invest in pastors and ministers who are in seasons of struggle. And I'm sure in the long 10 years of your ministry, each of you have faced those times of challenge and discouragement. And Chris, I want to start with you and just work down the line here. Can you tell us, share a little window into a challenge that you faced that brought you discouragement in ministry and how the Lord brought you through that? Yeah, I've been in my church for 32 years. I mean, all of these people came out of my ministry, but I've been there 32 years. On my 25th anniversary, big deal, flag thrown, all this stuff. So a year later, we fire a worship guy. And all of a sudden, a bunch of the people that stood in line telling me how great I was left. So it was a really, really tough time. And when you go through that moment, particularly with your wife, it's always a difficult thing. Kevin and I were talking about this before. The difficulty is you want to share with her, but you don't want to share everything that you're hearing, that you're getting beaten up with. And she's struggling because she wants to shoot the people that are bothering you. (laughs) You can deal with it. In their days, you're thinking, baby, I got a pistol. I can live it. We can take care of this now. But (laughs) it's really difficult. You've got to make sure you maintain a connection. You don't want to get into the point where you're only talking about the negativity. But you don't want to get to the point where you're acting like nobody's talking bad about you. And it's a tough balance to walk. And I know this sounds pseudo-spiritual, whatever, but I really do think you have to let the Spirit let you know what you share and what you don't share. But whatever you do, you've got to maintain a connectedness emotionally that, uh, that you don't let the difficulty take away from you. That's key. For us, we actually moved from Texas 10 years ago to plant our church in Charlottesville. 
and we didn't know anybody. We didn't know a soul when we arrived. And I would say church planting, speaking for the church planters out there, can be just one long exercise in discouragement and not sure that you're going to make it, that your church is going to make it. And I remember sitting on my couch with my husband and, and us talking about, you know, we could leave here and no one would ever know and no one would ever care. And so it can be a really discouraging to kind of think, how are we going to make it? Um, but I think that one thing that we have learned as a couple is because things can be so discouraging, often that's what we talk about with each other. And we realized that we needed to together to celebrate wins with one another. And when you're church planting uh, or just in ministry in general, sometimes the wins are really, really small. But just to name those out loud to one another, and we began to do that. The first time someone in Charlottesville invited us into their home for dinner, we celebrated that together. Um, just anything, a conversation, uh, an unbeliever coming to church and hearing the gospel, anything like that, that we could speak to one another and celebrate and thank God together has been a key for us. You know, when we transitioned uh, to First Georgetown, we had been serving in a place for 15 years, and that transition created a time of discouragement for our family because it was a really hard move at that time in our family, and I feel like that that time for us was, was a challenge in our family dynamic, in our marriage, and uh, we were excited about the move from the sense of knowing God called us, but the difficulty of making that move internally was in contrast to the excitement of the church of having a new pastor, and so it felt like you couldn't really even process it outside the home, and so we really had to focus in on making sure that we identified with God's calling and uh, keep revisiting the fact he is the one who initiated this move. And if he initiated this move, the discouragement, the season of discouragement, was actually a time he wanted our family to go through to grow. So how are we growing? How are we changing? What's happening in our marriage? What's happening in my children? Uh, what's going on that's growth here that we can point to and say, God, we're grateful for your call in our life, even though that brought a season of a discouragement? For us, it was really early on in our ministry, um, really early when there was an intentional effort to basically remove us from our place of service. Um, it was intentional. It was hurtful from the very beginning. And at such an early stage, we were really wondering if we missed God's call. Like, did mm -hmm. we not hear him right? Are we, have we just completely missed it? And both of us were in such a hard place that there was just no light at the end of the tunnel. And so for us, having people outside of our ministry that could speak truth to us, that could come alongside us and really just walk us through those depths of despair was probably the most critical part because we couldn't even relate to each other remotely healthy because of all of the hurt and the pain that was happening. On That makes so much sense. And Chris, you mentioned in your... Uh, initial answer that you've served in over 30 years in one place. So you've seen all the seasons of ministry. And I imagine along the way there's been are you saying? Are you saying I'm old? What are you saying? <laughs> I wasn't going to say yep. it, but <laughs> since you mentioned it. Uh, you've seen all the seasons. You've faced a lot of challenges. And I imagine there's been a number of disappointments along the way. People that you thought were all in with you that you don't see anymore uh, a, a new hot church in town grows up and people move over there and the grass seems greener on the other side. Can you walk us through how the Lord's preserved you for that length of tenure when there's often so much turn, turnover without resentment taking hold in your heart? Yeah, I think that is hard. I think 
those of you coming up in this day, when I came into ministry 41 years ago uh, as a pastor, if you like did a funeral for somebody, they were in your corner till the day you died. But people today, church people today are not that way at all. I've had people that, I, I, I had a lady, I walked her through her divorce, the birth of her children, the remarriage to another guy. Uh, I walked her through all that, and all of a sudden, one day, she and her husband are gone. They don't call, they don't check, and, and those kind of things. When you invest in people, if you have people that just attend and they go, no big deal. But when you invest in somebody and they go, that's a killer. And you can have all these people give you the spiritual thing, don't take it personally, but you do take it personally. And I, I, I think you just have to come to a place where you say, look, God, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to stand for your truth as best I can. And, and you handle what needs to be handled. There's a great, the Psalms of Ascent, 120 to 134, which the priest read as they walked up to Jerusalem. And it's interesting because in one of those, it says, unless the Lord builds a house, you labor in vain. And that became, for me, a huge life verse that, you know, if somebody leaves, that's their deal, but God's the one really building this, not me, so I'm going to back up. And that's and you, been a huge you, thing for me. You mentioned laboring in vain, and uh, Nicole and Christine, I want to get your take on this, because one of the challenges with ministries, it seems like it never stops. There's always next week, there's always another event, there's always another uh, thing going on at church, and there can be a weariness that sets in over time that can help to facilitate these other challenges with discouragement, loneliness, uh, resentment, some of those elements. So uh, help us think through how important rest is to the rhythms of a pastor and a minister's wife, and how have y'all navigated that in your different contexts? Rest has been absolutely essential um, because what we have found is that in, in, as a pastor and a pastor's wife, everyone in our church wants us to be healthy and have a thriving marriage. Our children need us to be having a thriving marriage. Um, but no one can choose rest and all the things that we need to have a thriving marriage except for us. And so we have to make the conscious choice to set work and ministry aside and to take time to what we call be a whole people. And I think what happens a lot in ministry is it becomes your identity. People identify you as the pastor and the pastor's wife. They introduce you as that. That becomes who you are. And, and so you begin to work according to that identity. It's really hard to set that aside and to remember that you are not, that is not your primary identity, that you are a whole person, that you're a child of God, and that you have limits and you need rest just like everybody else in your church. And so we've had to make a conscious effort to do that. And I would say it has been our sanity to take a day of rest each week. And that is really hard to do, but we've had to be very intentional in doing that. And I think for us, rest, we have to do some of that together. Like he and I have to get away without our children, without the, all the noise and the chatter, and we have to be together to rekindle our just zeal for life in general. Um, and so getting trying to get away regularly without our kids. But one thing that's been really helpful for us is probably every 12 to 18 months to get to some sort of marriage conference that is intentionally recalibrating our hearts towards God's design for marriage and making us evaluate our marriage. Where are we going? What are our goals? Are we doing this the way the Lord wants us to? So that 
we're not operating just in a vacuum of us, but someone else is able to speak to that. That's so important. And I hope for many of you that are here or watching on the live stream, this event can be that kind of source for you. And Kevin, one of the things I've noticed is with ministers, there's so much pressure to create an appearance like everything's going great, you got it all together, Uh, people look up to you, there's high expectations, and so there can be a tendency to insulate and to uh, self-protect and put up an appearance of health even when you may be hurting inside. Can you help us think through how you've wrestled with that dynamic? Yeah, you know, I think it is pressure that you feel And I think it's important when you are in that scenario and you feel those pressures, um, there's a a blessing in some of those pressures because I I feel like that there is a built-in mechanism in my calling to make me work hard at my marriage. And so that's a blessing. But the flip side, as hard as I want to be working, there are times when my marriage is struggling and we're having conflict, and we're having issues, or something's going wrong in the family. And what I find is that it's a whole lot easier for us to work through those things if we're honest about where we struggle and how we struggle, and just being forthright with some of that and talking about it. Hey, we're real people, and I was mean to my wife last week, and she let me have it for it, and that's just the way it goes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, pe- people, when they hear us talk like that, um, they're like, whoa, my pastor really is as messed up as me, you know? And it's, it's, it's kind of this really good moment of we are walking together in this. And though I'm working hard and we want to have a great marriage, uh, my marriage is just as hard as your marriage. Mm. And we've all got to work hard and talk about how we're working through those difficulties. Benny, the rest of you notice a similar thing in your situations? It is hard. I mean, you, it, it's hard to know where you're transparent and not overwrought being a therapist. I mean, there's a balance there, and Kev's always done that really well. But I think you do have to let your people know that you struggle like they do, and particularly in marriage. I mean, the divorce rate in the church is the same as outside the church. So we're doing something wrong. And I think you've got to showcase to them We struggle, but we make it work. One of the things we do, I make my staff do this when they come in, we divide the days into thirds, morning, afternoon, and evening, and I tell the staff, I don't want you to do more than two-thirds a day. One-third goes to your family. You work five days a week, but those five days a week are two-thirds. If you spend three-thirds of a day out, then you spend one-third of the day the next day, and you spend two-thirds with your family. So we try to balance it out that way so they have a little bit of an objective sense because when you say we need to spend time together, it's a little nebulous. So I tell them you need to give one-third of every day besides Saturday and Sunday to your family. Because Sundays, you're not giving your family. That's such a helpful insight. And part of that that wraps around that, Nicole, is the importance of relationships in your church. And I imagine people that are serving in ministry that are listening in on this, they always find that tension of like, I want to forge close relationships but I want to protect confidentiality. How do I navigate that? What have you found that's worked in your situation? Well, relationships, particularly with women in the church, they are complicated, and it is hard, and requires a lot of effort, but you can do it, and you can put forth the effort, and really, I found freedom in two things. Uh, One, being okay with those relationships not being equal. Like, I can have a different kind of relationship 
with this lady than this lady. They can look different. They don't all have to have equal access um, to me, or I don't have to know everything about them. So they can look different, but then also knowing that they can be seasonal, like that relationship can change over time, being okay with that um, so that, you know, if trust is broken, then I'm okay with that relationship changing, or I can have the hard conversations if that relationship is unhealthy and not able to share as much. And honestly, confidentiality in the ministry, like if you don't want it said repeated, then don't say it. And I imagine, Christine, there were times in the early days in Charlottesville, you wish you had that problem to even think about. You didn't have those relationships that were there. You already highlighted at the beginning some of the sense of loneliness that y'all experienced during that time. I, I want to dig in a little bit deeper there because I imagine there are people listening right now who feel that ache of loneliness. Yes, I don't imagine I know because ministry is, can be lonely. And I think we hear that a lot. And sometimes who, people who aren't in ministry, they don't understand why that is. So I want to try to explain that a little bit and then say how I've worked to overcome that. Um, but just for example, on a Sunday morning, I show up at church. And as soon as I get out of the car, I am on, as we would say, we are on, we are ready to greet people, we are ready to welcome new visitors, to answer questions. Uh, Somebody may come to us to ask for counsel. And I am very happy to do that and to minister and to serve and to pour out. But I would say the majority of weeks, there is not a single person who will ask me how I am doing. Ask me about my home life or my family or my interests or what I'm doing for work. And so over time, that creates a dynamic of this unevenness where I am not necessarily seen as a person, but I'm seen for the role that I play within the church. And that's why you often hear people say that pastor's wives are some of the loneliest people in the church, because we are seen as a role and not as a person. And so I think that that can create some resentment and bitterness in in pastor's wives and in pastors sometimes, and I have been there myself. Um, But I've had to come to understand that I need to embrace that this is the way that it is. Not that that, that I'm okay with that, but that I'm going to have to take the steps toward other people. Sometimes I've been resentful that I have to always be the one to go and to pursue and to initiate. But I have found that, that that's, I have to embrace that. And so I would say with what Nicole said, she used the term relationships. So for me, I've had to make a distinction between a relationship and a friendship. A friendship is mutual. And so I'm going to be constantly on the lookout for someone who's relating to me as a person. If they do ask me something about myself, I do find that when I'm with them that I feel they are life-giving, that there's a potential there. I'm going to step over that barrier of the role that I'm in, and I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to initiate getting time with her. And also, I found I have to initiate in being vulnerable. And that I don't do right away, right? But after a while of of building that relationship, I'm going to test the waters, so to speak, and, and, and go first in vulnerability and really invite that into a friendship-level relationship. I've also found that I have to say to people, I consider you a friend because they may not think that that's what this is. But I want to move that category into friendship by saying it out loud, actually. 
So I think that's, that's how I have tried to overcome that. That doesn't mean it goes away. There is still that tension of sometimes I feel alone on Sunday mornings. And sometimes I feel alone in my church body. But I have to continue to engage. Sure. And some of that uh, loneliness or isolation, Kevin, uh, especially as a minister, you can feel as a result of criticism. People have opinions about everything in the church, don't they? The music's too loud or they preach too long or we're not doing things the way that we ought to be doing them and they're not shy about letting you hear that. And uh, that criticism can take a toll over time. So walk us through how you've learned to navigate that and, uh, you know, just be real about some of the challenges that you've encountered in your own life situation. It would be nice to say that criticism does not affect your life, your marriage, your family, but um, it does, and it builds, and it can be really painful. And your reaction to being criticized, both inside and outside the church, for me oftentimes, and for Lindley, my wife, is defensiveness, like we want to defend against that so that we're not hurt by it. And no matter how much we say, that wasn't right, or they were the ones that were idiots, not us, and uh, pointing the finger back to them, it still does not change the fact that no matter how much we defend and point back, there's still pain that happens to us. And Lindley and I, particularly in this season where we've experienced a degree of criticism from outside uh, our church, um, we've had to accept that the effect of that criticism in our hearts is something that the Lord wants to use to bring us closer together. And if we just defend ourselves against it, as opposed to saying, what can God teach us through it, then we miss out on what God wants to do in that. And we become bitter instead of becoming thankful because of what God did with it. And that is a brutal journey. And I'm thankful that it's not always the same in every season because I don't know that we could handle it. But if in the seasons that it's coming, if we will stop just defending and start learning from what's happening and work together to grow, then I think we can look back and find some degree of thankfulness for what God did in that together. And uh, it's, man, it's brutal. It's terrible. I imagine it's been a challenge for you. What, it, what have you done to navigate that as well? Well, and just to piggyback, he's been the chairman of trustees at Southwestern Seminary this year. He's not talking out of the top of his head. He's had a rough year. So he's, yeah. <clears throat> Hasn't helped his golf game any, but it's helped him spiritually. <laughs> so I... Yeah, I mean, every pastor faces it. I think, I think it's really hard. Here's the difficult thing. Church size I'm at, if they criticize enough, they just leave. We don't have to worry about that. But if you're in a small church and they're there, I was here when you came and I won't be here when you leave. When you hear that, <laughs> and they criticize you, it's a different ball game now. You have to treat it differently. We just ship people off to First Baptist. But, uh, but when you're facing it in a smaller church, 
Man, you've got to eat it and treat it differently and love them and deal with it, and it's, it's a whole different ballgame depending on the dynamic of your church. And uh, for you as pastor's wives, when you watch your husband getting criticized, help us think through how to navigate that dynamic because in some ways it's similar, but in others it's totally different. There's nothing like a mama bear coming out than when I... <laughs> My husband protects me from a lot of the criticism he receives, which I do appreciate because sometimes he may say, I have received this, gen- generally he'll give me the idea, but he does not put the name with it. I'm really thankful for that because then I can go into church and I can relate to people without this weirdness. Um, I'm really thankful. So I, I, I forgot the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> thinking about navigating the dynamic when you watch your husband getting criticized in ministry oh I think it's I I don't really know the answer to that other than I would just say it's extremely hard for a pastor's wife because she has no recourse she has no ability to go and to speak to the person a lot of times she's she's maybe not even supposed to be aware of it but she is there's nothing that I can do I cannot go and defend my husband so I, I really have to trust and take those cares to the Lord. I think it's, it's really hard for us to not take it personally as the wife. Um, I mean, it, it just cuts right to the heart um, for personally. And so really just making sure that my heart is right and that I'm not like an instant wall of bitterness towards those people is really important. And then having other people that can speak into your life when that's happening. Um, you know, I, I can send a message to any of these guys if Nathan is in a bad situation, and they will help encourage him. So not being in it in alone uh, is really important. Mm-hmm. I would add, just for, just in your church, encourage your leaders. Uh, my husband hears more criticism than he hears encouragement. So I would just say take the opportunity to encourage those who you are encouraged by. A lot of times you think they just know, but they don't. So tell them. Now here's one of the things I love about this group up here. So Chris has been pastoring for 32 years down at Texas A&M. There have been a lot of Aggies that have come through your ministry and gone on to serve in ministry roles now. One of the ways that he invests in the senior pastors and their wives that have come through that is they get together annually for a weekend to invest in one another. And how many people are coming to that now? We had 24 couples last year, I think. And and so that's just such a unique dynamic. I would love to close out our time with y'all talking about how that has affected each of you and the way that that's helped to sustain you in some of these challenging seasons. Mm. I'll go first. I'll close it out. Well, I would just say it's the singularly most important thing we do for our ministry every year. It goes on the calendar without question, no matter what is happening. It's that significant in our lives and ministry and really gives us what we need to take forward steps over the next year. And so we absolutely wouldn't go without it. Yeah, this is something we've been building over many years. And so the relationships that have come out of that uh, are relationships that are not just a one-time-a-year event now. They're, they're weekly, monthly, um, and they're quarterly. I mean, we're getting together, we're, we're connecting, and we're making phone calls. And out of that investment has come a relationship that enables us to walk through difficulties and feel like we have somebody to go to and talk to about them. Mm-hmm. It was just helpful for me this year to hear Chris and his wife Peggy just to say it's worth it. I mean, they're, 
they've been in ministry for so long and, and we're at a stage where sometimes we feel like we're grinding through and to hear them say it's worth it, it's just as a reminder every year, it's worth it, it's worth it. And I would say to people you're thinking, well, I don't have that. But I, I would encourage you to find that within your community, get together with another pastor, another pastor's wife, gather people together because we all need that. It's, it's really helpful to sit down with somebody who just gets it. You don't have to explain it. You just start talking so you can gather that in your community. Yeah, we, we limited it to senior pastors because, I mean, Kev was one of the ones, he's on staff in the college minister. I remember a month after he was there, he called me up and said, okay, I know why you're earning the big bucks now. So... There's a difference <laughs> when you're senior pastor versus staff, so we do limit to that. And it's been really good for me. I mean, obviously, I'm on the nursing home deal here, but I think I told you this last year. I think they've added several years to my ministry because in meeting with all these young people, it's helped me know what's the culture like, how should I adapt to that. I mean, I entered the ministry, preaching was really a prophetic thing, but today, you've got to pull back on the prophetic aspect and be more pastoral, and I've learned that from listening to all these. So it's been extremely beneficial to me, grown to love them even more than when they were in my church, and uh, the only thing I hate uh, about these two women is they don't look any different than they did when they were in college. I've changed a little, but uh, my daughter that took my hair, but... Uh, it's been a great time for me, a rich time yeah. for me, and it's impacted my life way more than it's impacted there. That's amazing. And Kevin, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to close with the word of prayer. But I imagine there are some of you that this hits close to home. You're in the season of discouragement, and, and the Lord is with you in that. You can choose to respond in those situations with despair or dependence. And one of the things that I'm so grateful for that our next speaker, Todd Wagner, shared at an event that I was at his church not long ago is one of the ways you'll sustain in these difficult times is to remember why you got into this in the first place. And don't lose that first love for ministry that God has set in your heart. Kevin, will you pray us out to that end? You bet. You bet. Father, we are grateful for your loving presence, particularly in times when we are discouraged we're in conflict, we're experiencing criticism. Lord, we, we want to see those times as times when you can work in our lives. And yet, Lord, it is a time when we want to be out of that moment, and we don't want you to work in that way any longer. And we are crying out, how long, oh, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that if anybody in this room is in that moment tonight of crying out, how long, O oh Lord? Your spirit would remind them by way of your truth that you're with them, you're faithful. You're as with them in the time when they're most discouraged as the time they're most encouraged. And I pray that your presence and faithfulness, the truthfulness of your word and the hope of your promises would sustain them through that time of discouragement, not just so they might pass into a time of encouragement and be glad they're away from discouragement, but Lord, they would actually flourish in the discouragement, grow in their faith in you, and Lord, be able to experience the joy of suffering, the joy of discouragement for the glory of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would mend marriages that have been scarred by the brokenness that happens in ministry. 
that you would bring families back together that have been distorted because of the challenges of pastoral life. Lord, that you would do that for the sake of your glory in the church and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to the ERLC podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and join us next week as we hear about the suffering family and the goodness of God.